0: Hey, John, can I, um, can I tell you something? Sure, yeah. I'm pretty scared. Of Halloween? Brian, tell me you're not still afraid of Halloween. No, no, not Halloween in general, just this Halloween episode.
1: I mean, look, if if you don't like the creaky hinges and the rattling bones or whatever, just fast forward through them. It's fine. It's totally fine. Podcasts can't hurt you.
0: No, it's not that either. It's just that I'm scared of our song for today.
1: You're scared of Michael Jackson's Thriller? You can't possibly be afraid of Thriller. It's like the most successful pop song of all time. You've probably heard it a few hundred times in your life. But that's just it.
0: It's such a great song. I'm afraid we won't do it justice.
1: Well, okay, then why don't we just do this? It's probably true that we could never explain all of what makes Thriller so successful, so we'll just do our best on that front. But let's also ask an even more interesting question.
0: What makes Thriller so Halloween-y? Like, What makes it scary for non neurotic reasons? Exactly. Okay, I I think I could handle that. Good. Let's do it. Hey, I'm Brian Barone.
1: And I'm John lago Marcino. You're listening to Tuner.
0: The show about songs you really like, or I guess for today, songs that are really spooky.
1: And why they're so spooky. (coughs) Today's song is Michael Jackson's Thriller.
0: There are two things that make Thriller the quintessential Halloween song. Michael Jackson's classic king of pop sound And the way that the song borrows moves from the gothic style and from horror movies
1: So first, that sound We probably don't even need to say this, but it's a damn near perfect song
0: It's a great encapsulation of the sound Jackson and producer Quincy Jones perfected on the album it comes from Also called Thriller
1: Yeah, if you haven't given the whole album a good listen recently Definitely put aside an hour or two this week to blast it on some really good speakers It's just so good and it's definitely striking to listen to an amazing singer working before the age of autotune, too. All kinds of wild and delightful things happen in terms of pitch on this album that just don't happen much anymore. If you listen to our last episode, you'll remember that we spent a while talking about the backbeat, a kind of drum groove in four that plays the kick drum on beats one and three and puts accented snare hits on two and four. Both the album and the song thriller live in the backbeat.
0: And the song-thriller takes the backbeat a step further. They augment the beat 4 snare with a clap. Now, this does two compelling things. First, it adds a little extra variety to each measure, a slight differentiation of color between beats 2 and 4. Second, it implies a backbeat pattern operating at half the speed of the regular beat. So at the level of a single measure, the pattern goes down, up, down, up, where the ups stand out in both pitch and volume. Down, up, down, up. But if you listen carefully to the relationship between the snare and the clap, it also creates a down, up pair. And since we get two pairs of those down, ups every two measures, it kind of creates a backbeat feeling at this larger or slower metric perspective. Check it out. Down, up, down, That's a little abstract, maybe, but one of the things
1: that great composers and songwriters have noticed is that long-range patterns, ones that are felt maybe more than heard, can really affect how we experience a piece, even if we can't always verbalize why. And lest you think Quincy Jones wasn't paying careful attention to this stuff, listen to what he does in The Bridge. He's doubled up the number of claps so that now they happen each time you'd expect an accent in the normal backbeat pattern. In effect, this makes musical time flow twice as fast, or at least it erases that slower dimension that Brian was just talking about. And this is exactly what you want in a bridge section, which is usually all about building tension and energy.
0: So the other thing that gives Thriller its signature sound are its riffs.
1: And here we're going to have to get into a kind of funny thing about the everyday use of that word and the way musicians use that word.
0: Weirdly, those uses imply totally opposite ideas.
1: When we use riff in everyday speech, most of us probably use it as a verb that means something like to improvise around
0: a theme. Like, hey, did you catch Amy Schumer riffing on the election the other night? And while musicians sometimes use the word that way, like, oh, just riff on B-flat for a little while, more often, we use it to describe a certain kind of stable, usually shortish, repeatable musical unit.
1: Yeah, and because riffs function as musical identities, it's actually pretty important that you not improvise too much with them. Or else they can't work so well as riffs anymore.
0: Now, not to brag, but riffs are really a guitarist's game, and if you're thinking of an unbelievably awesome guitar thing in your head right now, you're probably thinking of a riff. I don't know, like any of these.
1: One really handy thing for songwriters is that you can take riffs and move them around in tonal space, what's called transposing, to get to different chords and keys. This creates a nice blend of sameness and difference that keeps things moving, but also continuous and coherent. For guitarists like Brian, that means all you have to do is learn one pattern, then move your dumb fingers somewhere else in the guitar to get the transposed version.
0: Which he'll show you now with the most cliched and riffiest riff of them all. I resent that implication. I'll demonstrate anyway. Here's a riff on G, now C, now D, and back to G. With this in mind, let's look at the riffs in Thriller. First, there's the one you probably most associate with the song, the famous Mini Moog synth bass part. Listen to the huge hole it leaves at the end of the bar. The last note of the riff lands on beat three, and it's played short, which combines with the rest on beat four to make lots of space for the clap. One, two, three, four. One, two, 3, 4.
1: As if one iconic riff weren't enough, Thriller also features a classic funky guitar line. Listen to it once by itself, then as it interlocks with the bass line. You'll hear how they're built to diverge and then come back together again, one filling the gaps left by the other.
0: This one's a little harder to hear, but there's even a third pattern. Check out what it feels like when they're all locked in together.
1: So... We were just talking about how riffs can get moved around, or transposed, to show the chord changes of a song. But that's not the only way to handle building a song around riffs.
0: Another approach, one that Thriller uses, is to design a riff that can stay in one place while various chords swirl around it.
1: For the sake of comparison, here's what Thriller might have sounded like if Jackson and Jones and the song's composer, Rod Temperton, had used the movable riff approach.
0: There's something a little clunky and too on-the-nose about the moving riffs, whereas the fixed riffs of the real song create a much more ominous mood.
1: There's a subtle air of inevitability to this approach, maybe the haunting suggestion that we're all doomed.
0: So, those are a few of the aspects that make Thriller a pop classic. But what about what's made it a Halloween classic? Obviously, there are the lyrics in the music video, which paint a pretty clear spooky scene. But what we want to suggest is that certain musical elements support all that by evoking the idea of the gothic, and by putting on a musical horror movie. First, let's look at the gothic. You know the image.
1: A misty graveyard, haunted by spectral presences, beneath an old stone church. The wind howls while bats fly from the bell tower, and an old door creaks open.
0: Yeah, essential for the gothic here is this weird presence of history, like, say, old cathedrals, and things that are discomforting or uncanny. We're going to look for this in terms of harmony and a concept called mode.
1: To talk about mode, let's start with maybe the least frightening piece of music of all time,
0: Do-Re-Mi, from The Sound of Music. I don't know. The sound of music has Nazis. They're pretty terrifying. Okay, yeah, fair point.
1: The scale that Do Re Mi teaches is the major scale. People will sometimes say that the name major comes from it being the most common or important scale, and while that's not true, it can be a good way to remember that major is kind of what music theory thinks of as the default, however accurate or not that is.
0: The major scale is made up of a pattern that we describe in terms of how far each note is from the one before it, and the pattern goes whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half.
1: To grasp the concept of a mode, you can think about taking that pattern and starting it on some other note, so you get the same group of note relationships, but kind of twisted in a way. One of these, for instance, is the minor scale, specifically the kind we call natural minor,
0: If you do the math, you'll find that there are seven different ways to spin the whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half pattern, which gives you seven modes. Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, Locrian. The modes have these ancient Greek names, but the ones we use today aren't the same as the ancient modes. They are related, though, to the way European musicians organized things in early music. So think from Gregorian chant till well into the Baroque period. That's why modern musicians sometimes draw on them to create some feeling of oldness.
1: The seven modes fall into two groups. In the first, the major scale and two like it. And in the second, the minor scale and two like it. Plus, there's one other mode that doesn't quite fit in with the rest.
0: Thriller uses one of the minor modes called Dorian. C-sharp Dorian, to be exact.
1: We don't need to get into the details of the Dorian mode, because I think you'll hear what we're talking about right away. Check out the main hook of the song. Ask yourself if you feel that something's a little archaic about it as it
0: goes by. To draw out the association a little more, I'm going to play the chord progression from this hook in a really old-fashioned way. Imagine that I have a lute here. And to be totally clear, this rhythm isn't actually in Thriller, just the chords, but I'm hoping this example will help you hear how really old music haunts the sound of the song.
1: And now compare that to some real modal music from the past. This kind of uncanny presence of the past is a classic characteristic of gothic art. Think of how many gothic stories and movies
0: are set in cobwebbed old mansions. And it's creepy. In a book called, conveniently, Gothic Music, The Sound of the Uncanny, Isabella van Elfrin calls this kind of thing gothic nostalgia, and she thinks that it wigs us out because it performs what Freud calls the return of the repressed.
1: So now let's look at the way Thriller layers some horror movie tricks onto its gothic base
0: to really freak us out. One of these has to do with the tritone, a kind of interval that splits the musical octave perfectly in half. It gets its name because it's made up of three whole steps, or more ominously, six half-steps. Okay,
1: so, one, two, three, whole steps. Or, one, two, three, four, five, six, half-steps. That's a tritone. It's also really, really dissonant. So probably that, plus the relationship to the number of the beast, got it labeled the devil in music for a really long time. And if you listen to any horror-related kinds of music, it's basically guaranteed that there will be tritones all over it.
0: Now, here's where things get a little conspiratorial, which is maybe perfect for Halloween. If we check out Michael Jackson's vocal line in the chorus, we'll find that it's made up entirely of notes from the C-sharp Dorian scale, except with the addition of some G naturals the note that's a tritone away from C sharp
1: it's like they've snuck the devil right into the very heart of the song right into the coolest
0: part of the chorus and that's not the only secret sneaky horror move that thriller pulls
1: yeah so let's play a spooky game if you're walking around with earbuds in right now try walking in time with the tempo of thriller <laughs> To me, that feels like just the speed you'd walk at if you felt like you were being followed and wanted to get away, but didn't want to break into a full run. So listening to this song kind of puts you in that hyper-aware, on-edge state of mind. In a way, it's kind of like it transports you into a horror movie.
0: And maybe we love Thriller for basically the same reason we love a great horror film. It adheres masterfully to some classic tropes or rules, but it adds something extra, too.
1: Thriller is an expert work of pop that does all our favorite pop things, but it also draws from a world of ancient associations, relentless repetitions, and terrifying tritones to make our
0: spines tingle. It's so good, it's scary) <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening. Tuner is Brian Barone and me, John Lago-Marsino.
0: This week's song, Thriller, was performed by Michael Jackson and written by Rod Temperton. Quincy Jones produced the song, and it was mixed by Bruce Swedeen. It's on the all-time best-selling album, also called Thriller.
1: And if you like the show, you can visit us at our website, tuner.show, and follow us on Twitter, at Tuner Show.
0: And make sure to subscribe and tell your friends about us, too. Just search for Tuner on iTunes or really any other podcast app.
1: And if you really, really like the show, we'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes. It really does go a long way.
0: Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.